Hey, everybody. This is Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. And, you know, this is only the second show of the new year. And um, I'm still excited about 2016. I'm not there yet with, uh, oh, my God, when is this year going to end? That's not happening yet. Um, and I am so thrilled to be able to start the show today by thanking our new governor, John Bell Edwards. Let's keep our fingers crossed that he's terrific and he really gets a lot done, but he already, that second day of his administration, loosened the reins on this ridiculous, arbitrary um, refusal on the part of our prior governor to accept millions of dollars from the federal government to help our citizens get health insurance. And You know, it's a little, a lot of people don't really understand how this really works, but basically you're talking about somewhere around 250,000 people plus who couldn't get insurance because they were not eligible for Medicaid, but they made too little to actually get to be part of the, um, the health insurance program, the federal health insurance program. Don't ask me to explain it further than that, but that's, that's how it, it, it was working. And he said, this is crazy for us not to accept that that money, number one. And two, here's the real thing. You know, the former governor, I don't even want to call his name. The former governor's position was that after a few years, the state has to pay 10%, only 10%, not 50, 10% of the cost. And he said, oh, we can't afford that. In the meantime, if you have people who can't get insurance, who get sicker and sicker, who go to the emergency rooms that are run by state, the state, ultimately you pay so much more for that health care. And those folks have shorter lifespans. So you're basically saying, it's okay if you die a little younger. We don't care. That's what the former governor said. Okay, so this is just a really exciting omen and harbinger, I hope, for the future that we're going to have a more um, empathetic, caring administration. And we have some really interesting people up there now. Billy Nungesser, you know, who could who could forget how he um, spoke up after the storm on behalf of our state uh, and after BP on behalf of the citizens of the state. He's, he's a, he's a pit bull advocate and I am hoping that in his position as lieutenant governor, he's going to be a pit bull for culture, recreation and tourism. Those are his charges. That's his mandate. And again, our former governor cut out the budget for money for the arts entirely. So he had to rob Peter to pay Paul to grab money from tourism marketing, which is also so important for us in order to keep the arts program going at all, but still at so much reduced a level than many, many other states. And also what makes sense for us that should be a creative center for, we are a creative center for the world. We just don't invest in it. So we are, we're a nursery we bring our kids up who are creative, and then off they have to go in order to really develop their businesses and their careers, and that has to stop. We have to figure out a way to grow our economy. You've heard this before from me, and you're going to hear a little bit more from me and from Amy Smallwood, who is my 
um, sister in arms. <laughs> she runs the Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation, which is the state version of the Creative Alliance of New Orleans. And we have different programming, but the same objective of trying to help our artists have sustainable careers grow and grow our creative economy. So welcome to Amy. And um, Thank you, Jean. Amy's got uh, some really um, important programs that she has launched in collaboration with others, and, and, and um, some of them you uh, in the audience, and I know that you are out there, you creatives, can benefit from. So let's, um, let's get into it. Um, you've got, first of all, um, something called catapult. And I think you should tell people what catapult means because some, some know and some don't. Well, catapult means to sort of propel forward. And, you know, our, our organization in the past few years has undergone a sort of evolution where we're leaning towards greater and greater support for creatives who are entrepreneurs. Um, you know, individuals that sort of operate as businesses, because many, many, many artists do that, um, and those that are LLCs and businesses. So the Catapult Fund was created in partnership with the Jazz and Heritage Foundation um, and, and using Jazz Fest money um, to create a pool that could be pulled from for grants in a sort of hybrid program that combines an eight-week boot camp. Actually, this year it's going to be a longer boot camp because it's going to be not quite as intensive. Um, and our, our creatives come in. They make applications to the fund. They are narrowed down to a smaller group, and then that smaller group goes through this boot camp that is uh, put together by Capital One and the Small Business Development Center, and they also get some resources from Ashe Cultural Arts Center. And they go through this boot camp. They learn all those great skills that businesses have, a lot of them instinctively. But we know that creatives tend to think with the other side of their brain and create a fabulous product. Um, we want them to be able to focus on that product, but we also want them to have some financial literacy skills, some uh, understanding of taxation and insurance and personnel and um, accounting, all those things that can make them successful. So at the end of that program, the funds that we have are divided up, and um, they also get some funds from Capital One, and they leave there with a, you know, a war chest of um, – a little bit of money, and also a whole lot of skills, a whole lot of new skills. This year's Catapult Fund is going to focus on the culinary industry. So we're looking for applicants who have bold ideas to build their businesses in the culinary industry, who need to learn how to write a business plan, um, need all those skills. And we're going to be working on that um, very quickly. The applications will be available probably within the next week. And um, you can look at our website to find them, and it's www.culturaleconomy.org. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I have two kind of thoughts about uh, the culinary arena. Uh, Why one, do you say culinary? Because I, I say culinary, you say culinary. What, what's the difference? Who knows? <laughs> you know, sometimes we... we make up the pronunciation of a word that we read that we don't hear from other people and we go through our whole lives pronouncing it that way until we hear somebody else say, oh, that's how you say Chipotle. How do you say it? Chipotle. Chipotle. I don't know. Right? I don't know Chipotle. Right. Is that how it is? Chipotle. Chipotle yeah. and I said Chipotle for a long time until <laughs> I heard somebody say Chipotle. 
I, I still don't even know what it is. All I know is that there was a big, you know, a food scandal just recently with some people getting sick from it. Really? Yeah, it's at one of the food chains that sells it. I forget who, uh, which one it was. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. So you know, you, I, I'm from the north, and so I, I came, grew up saying pecans, and then I had a boyfriend in my first year of college from New Orleans, of all things, actually from Bugaloosa originally, yeah. um, who said pecans. I said, oh, that's how you say it? <laughs> so I started saying pecans after that, and it's everybody else was saying still in the north, pecans. So it's like, what is that expression? You say tomato, and I, I say, say tomato. tomato. Yeah. So what were you going to say about yeah, what the culinary industry? So oh, You're making me hungry. I know. Two things. One, yeah, and I just had a few bites of yogurt before I came over here. Ick. So um, two things. One, there are a lot of people who actually make food out of their homes. Yes. Especially on Fridays. You know, the Friday church fish fries Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I, I, you know, watch out for the little signs in the neighborhood that tell me that, you know, at this church or or this house on a Friday. And so those, those folks who do that, are potential entrepreneurs. So they are. And and they for the catapult fund, we're looking specifically for businesses. So that if they're so if they already operate a as a business, yeah. um, even if it's a cottage industry from home, that's what we're looking for for that fund. Now we do have a loan fund available that is applicable to folks who are individuals operating as a business or actual businesses. And so what, what, what's the name of that program? That's the Louisiana Culturepreneur Fund. Okay. We made, How up, that we made up that word. So I like that name, yeah. Culturepreneur. Yeah. And I can't take credit for it. It was Will Scott over at ASI Credit Union. Um, that is a partnership. Everything LCEF does is a partnership. We do not operate in a vacuum, and we don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Um, the Culturepreneur Fund is, um, again, a partnership with ASI Federal Credit Union, the Foundation for Louisiana, Louisiana Small Business Development Center and Capital One with some support from the city and from Chase. And this is a really, really innovative program. It is a low-interest loan program that is available to individuals and to small cultural businesses. And the amounts for this pilot year are up to $10,000. That's a pretty substantial. If I had $10,000 when I started my business in the beginning, right? I could have made a little... Faster progress. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had done a survey of our grantees, our mm-hmm. former grantees, and discovered that a lot of them were using credit cards mm-hmm. to, you know, if they needed a brochure a or something. A Spike Lee, who made his first film on credit cards. Right. <laughs> well, and God bless him, you know, he, he did so well. But, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people get caught up in this, this debt cycle that is really horrible. damaging to them. Yeah. It's horrible. Because the interest rates on, on credit cards are what? 18, 20%. Yeah, whereas a low, your low interest loans, your. Our highest interest rate will be 8%. Yeah. And um, the, the guidelines are pretty loosened, um, meaning that we're going to work with you really hard to try to get you some money. Um, you know, we're gonna, if you've got serious, serious credit problems, we have credit counseling. Um, and as part of this program, we're going to require that every uh, borrower participate in at least. 18 hours of professional development training. Mm-hmm. That'll be through the Small Business Development Center. It will be customized to their needs. And there'll be a three-year loan period, and we're going to follow them through that loan period and make sure that they are that they have what they need. Because if they need more training, we'll get it for them. 
Um, we're hoping that people won't fall through the cracks, that we'll figure out some way to help every single one of the applicants. Mm -hmm. And we're piloting it in greater New Orleans and in uh, Acadiana. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, as we go through our discussion, uh, Amy, let's continue to uh, remind people your website so that as somebody tunes in and out, because a lot of people listen to radio in the car and yeah. they kind of get in and out. So let's just keep repeating. It's www.culturaleconomy.org. You only really need the culturaleconomy.org part these That's days. That's really true. I'm probably showing my age. I, I also I mean, use I never the Oxford use www comma. anymore. I mean, we do it on our printed material, yeah. but you just have to put in culturaleconomy.org. You might have to put it in New Orleans because there might be another culturaleconomy.org oh, somewhere no, in the country. Oh, no, there's not. <laughs> <laughs> We're one of a kind. <laughs> now, on the culinary, back on the culinary, because the other thing I wanted to say, uh, as a sort of on the other hand, in terms of focusing on the culinary, is that I've noticed lately that we have such an incredible, incredible number of restaurants in the city of New Orleans oh, yeah. that I think it's almost on the thresholds of being a surplus in a sense, or I, I don't think that's the right word, but a, a, there's a word, surf, now here's another word, how do you pronounce surfeit? S-U-R-F-E-I-T? I don't even know that word, Jean. <laughs> You know, I used to do vocabulary cards in high school when I was trying to get a high SAT score, which I wound up getting. But um, a surfeit is, um, it, it's, it's like a surplus. Yeah. Only it doesn't imply, a surplus implies that it really is beyond what you need. And a surfeit merely means that it's it's a lot. And and so, you know, every time I pick up Gambit and there's the new restaurants. Yes. And, and and I talk to people, and I'm sort of a restaurant hound, but they'll say, oh, have you been to eat yet in the French Quarter? No. You know, have you been to compare La, La Pen? Yeah. Uh, La Pen. Now I have been there. I, I went. I took somebody to lunch there the other day just so I could find out what it was all about. But there's so many. Yeah, there are. So I, I really, you know, it's just like the whole Somebody was, I was talking last night with somebody about condos and how, okay, we were talking about how you take a space and, and, and fund it so that we can include part of it for the arts. And so we said condos. And so this guy last, last night told me, no, we have a, we have a surfeit. A surfeit. <laughs> However you pronounce that. I'm going to use that Somebody word. call me and tell me how to pronounce that, please. Surfeit. 260-9265. <laughs> um, org. Yeah, <laughs> um, of of um, condos now yeah. in the city. Yeah. So um, maybe that's not going to be the way to well, do and, the creative spaces we're trying to do. And let me say do. this. I mean, you're connecting this to restaurants. It's not necessarily restaurants that will participate in our catapult fund um, could be caterers. process. Oh, it could be people who are making food products mm -hmm. or um, like uh, spices or or. Items that are used in the culinary industry, they might find that there's Utensils. a deficit of, you know, a particular kind of whisk or something. I don't know. Um, this is what I love about creatives is that they think of things that I could not possibly think of. And um, those are the things that will probably come to us and be innovative and be competitive um, in this catapult process. Yeah, and again, you know, uh, uh, um, yeah, okay, you've, you've definitely addressed my question. So uh, I'm thinking, you know, oh, we have too many restaurants. But it's right. It's not all about restaurants. And, in fact, everybody loves our Louisiana products so much, but we still have a deficit. That's what surfing is the other side of the deficit word. I'll okay. Bet, right? I get it now. So, <laughs> so deficit of 
um, distribution of our products around right. the country. I, when I was uh, working in New York in the 90s, I couldn't get some of our, my favorite coffees from here. Sure. You know, I couldn't. I think the French market were the only people who had a coffee on the market. You, you, no C, no, no uh, CDM, no union. Yeah. You know, just uh, and, and, and so on. All of our right. wonderful spices. And, yeah, there's Paul Prudhomme stuff was out there and, and Emeralds was out there, John Fulce. And then after that, big drop-off. Yeah. You know, really uh, Zaps, potato chips, some people carry that, but still a lot of it. Tony Stasheries. Huh? Tony Stasheries. There you go. I mean, that's one of the, uh, you know, I use that on pecans and right. I use that on everything. Yeah. Um, fish, whatever. So, yeah, um, yeah I, okay, I got there's it There's also now. a whole industry, too, of, um, of food preparers who work festivals and I think who work at festivals. Oh yeah. That's right. And, um, jazz and heritage has a lot of festivals and this is a nice way to, to connect that because these folks could come in who want to learn how to work the festivals, how to prepare food for festivals. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those are some of the people that might come in as applicants as well. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, y'all. So, um, you know, call in. If you have a, a business idea, a culinary business idea, let, share it with us. Let the, Amy hear what you're thinking, and, and we'll get you uh, lined up. Uh, this has been Amy Smallwood we've been talking with. So, Amy, um, okay, so Catapult Fund, the Culturepreneur, uh, is it fund or? Louisiana Col- Culturepreneur Fund. But what's the Catapult one called again? Catapult Fund. Those are both funds. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, let's talk about the downtown development district pitch because the deadline on that is coming up the end of January. And now, folks, let me put this in context. So you've heard maybe about Idea Village. So Idea Village is one of our um, real sort of gold standard organizations in the city that uh, fosters entrepreneur um, development in our market. And... Um, they, every year, their sort of big, big deal program has turned out to be a week in March when they have forums and lectures and lunches and all kinds of events all around a stimulating excitement about entrepreneurism in our city. And um, on one of those days, um, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans and the Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation in collaboration with the Downtown Development District, which is an organization that basically advances the the central business district of the city, which includes the Warehouse District, um, puts on something we call Creative Industries Day. And during that day, we focus on the creative industries as part of um, the support uh, and thrust for entrepreneurs. Um, And a big part of this whole week are what are called the pitches, and these pitches are when you can come in and um, pitch your company or your idea and get a nice, big, fat, little contribution in a combination of uh, actual cash, but also some... Uh, it's, yeah, it's about $35,000, $40,000 prize package. Services, in the case of the DDD. And, I mean, uh, in the, yeah, in the case of um, our combined uh, pitch... Um, and some really interesting companies have gotten it in the past and have – you have to make a commitment to work in the CBD to get this. That's the one, you know, requirement. And, and what's wrong with that? Then you're just right in the heart of the, the city's business district where everybody else works in business. So, um, Amy, give me the details on the pitch. 
Well, we like I said, we have a prize package of about a $35,000, $40,000 value. Um, but what we're looking for are creatives who have ideas that will um, perhaps advance some of the uh, goals and initiatives of the downtown development district, including things like wayfinding. Um, you know, it could be some sort of storefront. It could be something that brings people to the DDD area and generates some sort of excitement. And, um, you know, the, we, we've had some really fascinating applications in the past. And even if you ha were a past applicant and were not chosen, we encourage you to apply again. Uh, we are looking for applications on our website, cultureleconomy.org. There's a link to the DDD site. And um, the deadline for that is January 29th. And what will happen is you'll go through a process with us of being interviewed, and you can make your pitch to a, a group. And then uh, that day in March, I think it's March 16th, we're going to have a couple of panel discussions and a special lunch and follow it with the pitch contest, and there will be a nice audience there. It's a great um, way to practice your pitch. And, you know, a very motivating factor to kind of get your ducks in a row in terms of your business. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to receiving any and all applications we can see. So um, tell me what you think the key sort of criteria are. What, you know, let's talk about how we judge um, the the ideas. And, and by the way, I think it's really important to say that, yeah, we do give them training for the pitch. So, you may come in and say, well, you've never done a pitch before, so you're too afraid to enter. Uh, don't be, because um, once you, you make your pitch just in a, in a boardroom to uh, the judges, um, then the next step is that if you are selected uh, to compete, and I think it's – how many people are we talking about that we actually selected? It's about half a dozen, right? Yeah, I think I think the most we've ever had is – Five or six. Yeah. So um, finalists, and then so then we help each of the uh, selected uh, contestants, let's say, um, prepare their more public pitch that's going to be made to a big crowd of people who um, are going to listen to them. So you know, I'll tell you what. Even if you don't get the final um, package, you don't. You're not selected as the. You have exposed your program and what you're doing to a lot of people. And I'll never forget that Two Cents, which is Brandon Odoms, who's, thanks to Doug McCash, a big star now. No, that's not fair. Thanks to his talent, but also a lot of coverage from Doug McCash, more than any other artist in town. Um, he, he, um, he went on and, and, you know, cut a rug, so to speak. He really went out and uh, accomplished a tremendous amount with his, with his work. Uh, and people, in part, got to know what he was up to and doing as a result of his pitch. Yes. So I, yes. I think his and his his group. Yeah. So I think it's really it's an important opportunity. Um. So you know, back to just let's let's kind of close with a, a a general picture of why I think everybody knows why I am so passionate about this at this point. Because again, I don't think I go get, get get through a show without talking a little bit about this. But um, Amy, why is this a passion of yours? Oh, gosh, that's a question out of the left field. Um, I think it's because I myself am not an artist. I, can, I write, but I'm, I'm not a you know visual artist or, or performing artist. And I 
I think I'm so blown away by the way artists think and problem solve and are resilient and optimistic and, you know, I do what I can do in that field and that is support them. Um, because gosh, I wish I could write an opera or, you know, paint or whatever. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't want to see it, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> but um, I think that's why this is a passion. And I also feel like um, there's really no reason to live in a space without art and culture present. It is absolutely what creates a sense of place, and um, I think people inherently need that. And I think that's why so many people um, stay here despite maybe the difficulties. I mean, my, sure. my husband calls New Orleans the little difficult, not the big easy, <laughs> with good reason, because it's not an easy place to live. We think of it as easy, but truly, um, because of kind of a lack of capital and, and, a, and, a, well, and a lot of poverty and, and all, all the ills that we know that we deal with, the inadequate education system. And, and you know, the, the, the yin and yang of the fact that we care more, some folks care more about the past than the present and the future. So that has both saved, uh, in a sense, the environment of the city, but on the other hand, it makes it a lot more difficult for all of us to um, forge ahead and, and do what you're talking about, to yeah. be entrepreneurs. So, um, and, and it's also the reason why we've gotten so many new young folks come to town. Sure. So, um, I, I, I'm happy to have you uh, um, working in this uh, realm, in this area. Thank and, you. And uh, as a way of transitioning, and hang in for just a minute, because Kyoto, who's with us, um, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Kyoko, but Kyoko. <laughs> I knew that I was uh, wrong. That was a little bit like my um, refrigerator Suff- story. Surfit or whatever. <laughs> Surfit. 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 That's how you pronounce it. Surfit. Surfit. Yeah. Um, uh, Kyoko McRae is she's she's June Bug Productions these days. You you keeping that incredible uh, theater operation alive, and um, yeah. and you have a major production happening at the Contemporary Arts Center this weekend called Soundtrack 63, mm-hmm. which is a, to quote, a multimedia live music performance that takes the audience back in time with a cultural and artistic retrospective of the civil rights movement from 63 to the Black Lives Matter movement of today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a mouthful. And yep. the production itself is a mouthful because you have so much going on. You really, you've got film and poetry and art and and the whole thing. But, you know, I don't know if you know this, Kyoko, but both Amy and I are alums in a big way of the Contemporary Arts Center. So my husband and right. I were the founders of it, and Amy was the development director for how many years? Well, I wasn't the development director. I had, like, a bunch of different jobs. But uh, that was I one was of the associate director for 18 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, we're really excited about this partnership with the Contemporary Arts Center. Um, and the production's going to be in the warehouse. It's huge. It is I mean, their, enormous, that their staff has been incredible. Um, yeah, we're featuring 29 local artists as well as 14 touring artists. Um, so we have young people from the McDonough 35 High School Gospel Choir all the way up to um, – 
Abiodun Oyewole, who is in, from The Last Poets. Um, he's one of the greatest poets. Um, and so we really want to make this an intergenerational experience. Um, we encourage young people and people who, you know, live through the civil rights movement, um, because that's really about connecting the past and the present, um, looking back on the civil rights movement and connecting it to, um, Black Lives Matter movement today. So we're really Very timely to the timely. monument issues. Yes. And that is actually one of the issues that will be, um, featured in the performance. So this was actually originally commissioned and produced by 651 Arts in Brooklyn. What, what is, I was going to say, what is 651 Arts? Because I saw that in your mm-hmm. press release, but I'm not familiar with the organization. Yeah, they, um, you know, kind of similar to um, Junebug. Well, oh, June June probably Bug. more so yeah. with Junebug Productions, but, um, you know, great relationship with the CAC as well. I know that they've worked together too, but um, they're based in Brooklyn and they present um, primarily African-American artists. Um, and so they originally commissioned this piece um, that was created by Chen Lo and Asante Amin of um, Soul Science lab. They're a a group in Brooklyn. Um, So this is actually the fourth installment of this piece, and they've actually adapted it slightly to feature some um, uh, New Orleans history, particularly at the emphasis on, um, you know, New Orleans contributions to the civil rights movement. And so the the issue of the monuments, um, dismantling the white supremacy monuments, is actually going to be featured in this production as well. I'm so glad for that because... There were some people in in the black community who Amy's taking peeling off from us. Thank you, Amy, and um, again, thank you for having me. L, uh, nice L- C E F, Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation, and the website is culturaleconomy.org. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. Um, so uh, there were some people in there are some people mm-hmm. in in the black community in New Orleans mm-hmm. who say, "Don't waste my time with this. This is not." Essential. You want to put some time into something that counts for us. Let's deal with, um, you know, education and mm-hmm. crime and so on and so on. But um, I, I, I sit on the Historic District's Landmark Commission, mm-hmm. and um, I seconded the motion to take them down. Right. And the reason I did so was because of why they were put up. Mm-hmm. And see, this is the thing that a lot of people don't want to deal with. And I have friends... I have uptown friends that won't talk to me right now mm. because of that, wow. which I think is really pitiful. But um, I mean, I you know, I have I have friends who I have enormous political differences with um, all around the, the uh, spectrum, and I don't let that get in the way of me being friends because otherwise I, I couldn't talk to half the people of the city of New Orleans, <laughs> you know. But um, uh, I I when I read the history. Everybody says, oh, it's important. It's part of our history. Okay, yeah. Look at the history mm-hmm. of why those statues were put up. And they were put up as a reaction to Reconstruction, as an attempt to take us back to the days of slavery and white supremacy mm-hmm. and, it, and, and what's called the lost cause. And the lost cause was essentially what took met a people into the civil war in the first place to protect the right to slavery. Uh, and I just say, how, how can you, how can you feel mm. that it's important to keep statues up that were put up by people for that purpose? I mm. just don't get it. Well, I know I'm going to get some calls cause I had a caller on when we talked about this on our show the last time, um, who, who are saying, you know, give me a break, just leave it alone. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Those statues aren't important. But when I first came here to the city and I, and, and I saw that statue to Lee, I said, 
Wow. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think throughout history, you know, as artists and culture bearers, we've always played a role in, um, you know, bringing attention to the things that matter to us. And so it's more than just a statue, I think, you know. Having symbols like that is a representation of of our values and what's important to us. So, you know, in the same way, I think we create our we create these symbols, images. Um, you know, you mentioned B Mike earlier, and I think um, Brandon Odom, sorry, um, and his his work was really, you know, and that was a year ago. MLK Day last year and you know just thinking back on the amazing art that he created and what that represented uh, represented um the, the values of African American community in New Orleans I think you know in a similar way when we create these really powerful images whether they be images or symbols that uphold oppression or work to challenge oppression you know are are really significant and important and they're more than just um symbols they really are representative of what what's important to us today and so um you know I think this piece um touches on that a lot it it it's looking at the music um the images um you know I think of the image of I am a man and and what that represented during the civil rights movement and and the what that brought to the forefront in this country of um things that needed to be changed. So, you know, I'm brought I'm thinking about the the songs, the images and the different things that really um propelled the civil rights movement and are relevant today as well. Like what are the the symbols and images that are going to they're going to are going to help create social change today. I predicted I'd get a call on this. Here it is. <laughs> See those lights. <laughs> Hello, who's here? Uh yes, uh you know, I want to uh I commend you for standing up for what is right in the face of uh, opposition from people you know and may be friends with. Uh, you know, I, mean, I cannot understand how some people choose to ignore, uh, you know, slavery and all of the horrors of slavery and the fact that the Civil War was fought to try to maintain those horrors, you know, and the depopulation of a continent, you know, Africa lost probably over the uh, history of, of enslavement in America, so 200 million people uh, who were That's a real killed. number, 200 million. Yeah, if you look at if you look at wow. if you look at the uh, population of Europe and Africa in 1650, you will you will see that that both continents had approximately 100 million people living in them. Uh, 200 years later, in 1850, the population in Europe was approximately 300 million, and the population of Africa had decreased to 95 million. And, and, And that was due entirely to the effects of, of what slavery was all about. I mean, you know, and all, you had to capture people, you know, which caused, which meant there had to be warfare in Africa, and people were killed. Uh, you know, then you had to ship them over, you know, the Middle Passage where, you know, ten, tens of millions of people died. And of course, when they died, that meant they couldn't have, they couldn't procreate, they couldn't be any of any any family members. You know, so we only sometimes think about the fact that, okay, in the United States and, and in South America, there may have been 20 million Africans. But how did those 20 million Africans over time get here? 
and what was the cause and the effect. Because they didn't take the lame and the sick out of Africa. They took the healthy, you know, and, and, uh, and they left the lame and the sick to fend for themselves. And what happens there is the people died, you know. And, and so, the, you know, the impact of, of, of the slave trade and slavery, you know, was immense in, in the depopulation of a continent. And, but, you know, the, these monuments, which, as you point out, were, were erected, and they were only erected at a period of time after the black citizens in Louisiana had been disenfranchised, terrorized, and along with, with those sympathetic whites, you called into submission by the, the neo-Confederates, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, the White League, and others, and they erected these monuments to glorify, you know, what the Confederacy was supposedly about. I mean, and, and Robert E. Lee in his Confederate uniform, Beauregard in his Confederate uniform, Jefferson Davis, as he stood in the, in the rotunda, in the Confederate uh, uh, capital, you know, and uh, so so, and then and then you know the the monument to to the Battle at Liberty Place, which was a, a slaughter of law-abiding uh, citizens meeting and gathering, and, and the killing of police officers, and, and and for this to be glorified, and then so many people say, oh, you know, let's deal with more important issues. Well, these these things are all contributors mm-hmm. to the sad state of affairs that we have for African Americans where in the city of New Orleans sixty percent of the population has two percent of the wealth. Two percent right. of the wealth. Black Mr. Henry, you you've got your, your facts. I I'm I'm curious to know um, what's your uh, profession or, or background well, is I'm, a, I'm an attorney by profession, but I've made it a point to study history you know, and to read it, you know, since I was a child, to read about all these incidences and, and situations and history. And, and I've been very active in the community over many years. If you look at that picture they ran of Reverend Alexander being grabbed at, at the Liberty Monument, I'm standing next to him. Yeah, you won't see me in the picture because I'm right outside the picture. But, uh, yeah, so, so I've been, been involved since I was a teenager in, in Understanding and reading and and and, and 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 knowing history. I mean, people don't remember, don't know that Louisiana was one of the states where 50 percent of the population was was black. You know, at the time of the Civil War. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. you you add up the black population with the, with sympathetic whites, and that's a clear majority. And these monuments weren't erected until 30 or 40 years after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, thank you, you know? for sharing that history that, you know, I feel Mr. Like- Henry, thank you. I'm going to um, go on to the next caller, but I, I very much appreciate you taking the time to share with us some a perspective that um, I frankly did not know and um, underscore um, the the real importance of this issue mm-hmm. and, and, and um, challenge this uh, thing about, you know, the, the folks who view these as landmarks in history and they shouldn't be taken down. The other thing they talk about is the slippery slope, and I have an answer to that too, but let, let me take a, a caller and then sure. I, I want to come back to all the activities this weekend because I don't want to lose sight of what we're talking about here, which is an incredible, incredible program of activity at the CAC this weekend that I really want to make sure everybody gets out to. So, um, okay, I, I hope I know what I'm doing here. Hello? 
Good morning, Sister Jean. Good morning to your guests, and Happy New Year to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I have a book by a writer by William Lorenz Katz, K-A-T-Z. And uh, I know, I'm from, I know, are you, is, your, is your guest from New York? No, I live here. I know you're familiar with the Schomburg, right? I'm sorry? Schomburg in New York might be a great library in Harlem. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not I have heard about that, yes. Yeah. Anyway, is, I think it's a research center. Well, anyway, William Lawrence Cat wrote this book I have. I bought it up in Austin from Walmart. It's called The Black West. Okay? Now, this, this is a research from 1971. This is when most of these good writers started coming out. Women around, uh, uh, used, used to write for Evening Magazine on Historic and Con. Well, anyway, he wrote about John Hawkins. Numbers people throw up in the air. And I might believe William Cass when he wrote, uh, John Hawkins had his first chapter was 689. Now, I can understand the gentleman who just got off by saying, between people getting captured, a lot of people was killed, first of all. Okay? We don't know the percentage. Now, a lot of babies was not taken from over there. A lot of babies was killed. Now, between being captured and getting on the ship coming here, a lot of us was just jumped overboard. We heard certain stories from, from the 70s all the way up to now that the shark got fat, and every time a slave ship came, going and coming, the shark would follow the ship. So a percentage of us, I don't, we really don't know. But mm -hmm. I know this for a fact, over 100 million was taken from over there. Mm -hmm. And that's a fact. Now, we're going to end that right there. Now, Sister, uh, your guest, when you talked about Junie Buff production, I think he was part of Free Southern Theater. Yes. And Free started in New York and brought here to New Orleans. No, it started here. Well, Free Southern right, Theater right, started right. in New Orleans. Well, there were actors. Started, when you mentioned the last port, <laughs> they used to host the last port twice. Uh, once at Xavier's in the early 70s, and it brought to the Free Sun Day that was once on Dry Street, which is now Orissa Castle, Castle, Castle Haley Boulevard. Boulevard. Right, that's so right. When you say last post, you say the best. Now, somewhere in the early 2000s, y'all know the little rapper called Chuck D? Yeah. The enemy? Yeah. Okay, he did a, uh, not a CD, but a uh, cassette tape with one of the, I can't think of this brother's name. I know he came here a couple of uh, jazz sets ago. He did a uh, one-on-one -on -one with Chuck B. Cut a cassette tape together, not a CD, but it, the, the, the music was on a cassette tape. Now the last time I heard anything about the last four until I heard the brother Felipe Luciano won the last four. Yes. Yeah, he's an activist now, Felipe. Yeah. Right. Uh, I heard his voice about two weeks ago on RPM because they had some kind of little rally up in Harlem. And that was the last time I heard the voice of one of the last folks, Brother Felipe. Thank well, I hope call. you can make it to our show because it sounds like you really need to be there. <laughs> so, you know, let me let me get back to the show because we only have so much time left, and I want to make sure people really understand the full scope of the program because mm -hmm. there's so much to it, and we really got sort of sidetracked on um, a very important issue, the monuments yeah. issue. But um, So thank you for your call. 
Well, I think, you know, the first caller, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I forget your name, but, um, the points that you made about, you know, highlighting history that we don't, we don't read about in our textbooks, that our children don't read about, you know, is really important. And, um, the work that we do at Junebug Productions, our mission is to really, um, support artistic works that question and confront inequitable conditions that have historically impacted the African-American community. So, you know, we try to do everything that we can through the arts to tell these untold stories. And that's a lot about what this, what this production is about is, you know, it actually starts even before the civil rights movement. We're going all the way back to the middle passage. And, um, uh, and so this, it is really a retrospective that spans a great, uh, you know, long, um, the long history of African Americans in 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 the United States, and um, we're doing that through music, um, through jazz, through hip hop, through um, R and B, and so you'll hear the great hits by Nina Simone and John Coltrane, and all the way up to you know the Roots and different artists. So. Um, I want to give out the dates because I don't know if we've done that yet, but it's at the Contemporary Arts Center. It's starting Saturday, January 16th. It's this Saturday, folks. Yes, and actually Saturday is already sold out, so oh, encourage wow. folks to get tickets for Sunday and Monday. It's kind of unusual. We're doing a Saturday, Sunday, Monday Well, run. Monday's MLK Day, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so um, that is, um, you know, we're celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day um, by having this production closing that night. Um, so tickets are still available for Sunday and Monday night. The shows are at 7.30 p.m. Uh, they can be purchased online at cacno.org. C-A-C-N-O. Dot .org, mm-hmm. yes. Or, um, you know, you can call the box office um, at the Contemporary Arts Center. The number there uh, is 504-528-3805. Yes, or 3800. Either way, we'll get you to the front desk. Yes. Um, so um, we hope you can make it out there. It's going to be an amazing experience. Um, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's an unusually rich combination of things. Last year in the Myrtle Banks uh, building, I did a, a, a program called um, Conversations mm-hmm. um, on the Civil Rights Movement. I don't remember the exact title, quite frankly, but um, we brought together folks who were veterans of the original civil rights movement, mm-hmm. you know, people like Matt Suarez yep. and Doty and, and Lolas and other people, um, with some of the young folks who are leading the um, Black uh, Lives Matter movement. Excellent. And it was very, very interesting to see this um, uh, dialogue right. between those folks. But we didn't do a lot of performance. We had a display of photographs from the civil rights movement um, that were part of the show that had been... Um, uh, uh, put together by uh, Dion Butler and, and um, uh, uh, Sharon Brilsky and um, uh, I'm so bad at grabbing my names and I'll grab her name in a minute, but um, it, they put a lot of effort into putting mm-hmm. that show together. So we had that on view and then we did the conversation. And it's just um, just sitting here in this conversation this morning and talking with Mr. Henry and, mm-hmm. and our most recent caller mm-hmm. um, to hear their perspectives is, is, is so important. And you, mm-hmm. you learn so much about what's going on today by learning more about what happened that preceded today. Exactly. And I mean, that's exactly how this project came about. Um, June Productions, we've been, um, 
you know, working to document our history, um, Junebug's history and our predecessor, the Free Southern Theater's history, and looking at um, these untold stories of um, contributions made by New Orleans folks um, who were involved in the civil rights movement. And then we came upon this piece, you know, our executive artistic director, Stephanie McKee, um, you know, heard about this piece and saw it, and um, we said, you know, we've got to bring this down, and so we've collaborated with the CAC to bring this performance. But that is exactly the intention, is to, you know, learn from the civil rights movement and uh, make it an intergenerational experience in which um, those who are involved in the movement back in the day and, and young people can come together and learn from one another. Mm-hmm. So just a couple little uh, personal notes of history that are not <laughs> uh, on point exactly, but I can't resist sharing them. So um, uh, my husband and I were good friends with Gil Moses yes. uh, before we ever came to New Orleans. Oh. Um, and I don't remember exactly how uh, my husband, Bob Tannen, met Gil, but it was on the East Coast. It was uh, when he was doing things up there. And we attended a performance of um, uh, Slave Ship, which mm-hmm. was an incredible production that Gil directed. Yes, on Broadway, in New York. I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh-huh, exactly. And it was phenomenal. It was just um, powerful, powerful uh, production. And um, we got to know his wife at the time, Wilma Moses, who mm-hmm. was a good friend of ours. And, um, and then when we came to New Orleans, of course, we checked in with John O'Neill. And then when we formed the Contemporary Arts Center, when we called the very first meetings, John was one of the people who we called to join us right. in the uh, planning and developing of the CAC. So yeah. um, people make the joke that there should be a T-shirt, I was a founder of the CAC, because there are so many people <laughs> who claim involvement. But I don't know that a lot of people realize that he was actually yes. one of the group of people who and did I think work he, on it. I mean, he was one of the first people to perform in the Freeport Theater, if I'm not mistaken, doing um, playing the Junebug Jabba Jones character, doing Don't Start Me to Talking or Tell Everything I Know, um, which was the first play that was produced by Junebug Productions um, once um, John succeeded sort of the work of the Free Sun Theater with mm-hmm. starting Junebug Productions. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry we lost Gil so uh, young in, mm-hmm. in his life. That was really uh, um, nothing short of a tragedy. He was also the producer of, the director rather, for The Wiz on Broadway oh. when it was pre- uh, performed I live didn't know that. Before it became a film, and um, I think he was actually in contention to do the film, and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But, um, he did an incredible production of that. Um, so, t- give me just a, uh, uh, give me sort of a, a, a little bit of the, a picture. Draw me a picture of what that what that evening is going to be like. Because yep. as I went through, there were so many things going on. I was trying to grasp. Okay, what is this evening at the CAC going to be like? Right. Well, if you're able to take a look at the website, because there is a video on the site. Um, um, I'll give you a preview of the performance. Um, and again, that's at cacno.org. And I think C-A-C-N-O. the specific. Yeah, CACNO.org slash soundtrack 63. You can also find it on the homepage if you click on performances. That'll be the first thing that comes up. But there's a video there of the performance that'll give you a, a better idea. But um, yeah, it's um, like I said, it's a full orchestra of musicians. Um, there's be horns, strings. Then we have four amazing uh, singers from New York who will be, um, you know, front and center leading the vocals. Um, they'll be backed up by the McDonough 35 Gospel High School Choir, um, High School Gospel Choir, excuse me. And then we also have New Orleans' own Sonny Patterson, uh, one of the greatest poets. You know, she'll be featured. Um, and uh, we have an MC. Um, 
And and then on the backdrop of all this, there'll be um, a big screen um, and this amazing video work that's been created by a group called Electric Breakfast, um, which will take us back in time. And so we'll see these images, um, these really striking images of the civil rights movement and different moments in history. So it's a combination of the music and the and the video um, um, that's going to create this real striking um performance so i i it just sounds incredible and i i'd like to try to come myself i hope i can um so it's saturday and sunday and monday night saturday is sold out so monday and uh, sunday are still available and that would be a wonderful thing to do on monday actually too um, uh, in celebration of the Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, and you know, it's it's definitely open to young people, so encourage people to bring their children. It's a great opportunity to talk to them about the history and teach them um, about these significant moments in, in history. I think it's a real great opener. I think young people are going to be really engaged in this in a way that, you know, it's not and not in the same way that they would be if they're reading about it in a textbook. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's more emotional when you see mm-hmm. things um, uh, in, presented uh, through the creative arts, through music, through visual art, through dance, through song. Um, it reaches you in a different place in, yeah. in your soul. So um, if you don't mind me asking, we have just a few minutes left. Sure. What, what's going on with Junebug Productions in general? What's your next big um, uh, yeah. presentation? Well, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to expand our capacity and, and bring more performances to our audience here in New Orleans. So um, we are working on a new production. We did a workshopping of it. called um, The piece is called Gomila to Return, uh, Movement of Our Mother Tongue. Uh, that was directed by Stephanie McKee. We did one um, sort of workshopping of it at the McKenna Museum in the fall of 2014. We're going to be premiering that piece um, sometime this fall, um, later this year. So we're really excited about that. We got a, um, uh, a grant from... Um, the uh, National Theater Project to produce this piece and tour it. So we're really excited about that. Um, if you could check back on our website, we'll have more details later this year. But our website is junebugproductions.org. And that piece is, you know, somewhat similar in the sense that it, it, tra- it travels um, between time and um, um, is really looking at um, – some of the issues that are really important to us today in New Orleans, looking at gentrification and the right of return, you know, we're looking back at um, now 10 years after, or more than 10 years now after Katrina, but looking at how the city has has changed and how a lot of people have not been able to return. And so this big question of the right to return is addressed in the piece. But it's also, um, you know, a piece that energetically really connects us and goes um, takes us as far back as West Africa. Now, let, let me ask you a question about the, the right to return, because this mm-hmm. is something I'm very uh, aware of and focused on in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of um, uh, outreach for planning efforts as, as, in addition to my arts work. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was really, I found, one of the things that I found most problematic about the whole issue of the people who, who left one day, mm-hmm. um, you know, put on a bus and, and, yeah. and ferried out of here because you know, the the mayor had made a decision to just keep everybody out of the city, including myself. I mean, I, the only way I got back into my house to stop what I call the Texas tra- chainsaw um, guys from cutting the oaks to pieces in front of my house, um, n- not nearly as, as uh, life-changing uh, a, a uh, aspect of the storm as it was for many people who actually lost their homes, but mm-hmm. losing an oak tree is pretty 
big for me <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's a big part of the city. But um, I, I can't. I have tried over and over again to get my arms around the facts, the data, right. who's where, why, who hasn't come back, why, who wants to come back and can't, who is happy where they've landed and they've built a new life and they're not coming back until maybe later. Everybody comes back mm-hmm. eventually. But um, I, I think the lack of, of data, and I don't. I, it's not that it's not out there. Right. Because, you know, for example, I, you know, I was one of the people who fought against uh, destruction of the public housing in town. And I know that HUD knows where people are. Mm-hmm. You know that they know. And they won't tell us. Right. So th- one of the big things, yeah. if, if part of what you do on that issue is to force the issue of getting the information, mm-hmm. that to me is absolutely critical in doing something about the issue of helping people get back. Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, I think the New Orleans Data Center is a great resource, but um, we need to keep remembering that and not let these issues, you know, fall by the wayside in the name of progress, certainly. Um, You know, quote, quote, unquote, progress. Well, there's nobody who, who, who I don't think anybody begrudges the newcomers. uh Yay. You want to come here and make stuff and add to our economy and yay. But as you say, if if that happens without the the ability of people to return who you want to come back the people who mm-hmm. who have the cultural legacy of New Orleans in their hearts and brains right. then it's 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 not enough to just say oh wow we've changed it's a new New Orleans yay right. that's not and I, and I think enough. you know um, Mr Henry the first caller I think mentioned this but um, you know that New Orleans is an African American city um, I mean we're a diverse city but you know that is so much a part I mean the the African tradition is so much a part of um, you know, New Orleans culture, and that's a lot of what this piece, Gomila, is about. Um, all the artists that are contributing to this piece um, are from New Orleans, um, including Sonny Patterson, who's also featured in this piece. And, you know, um, it, it's being created as an ensemble with these artists, so their stories live in this piece, and, and it includes their experiences, um, um, what some of them went through, um, Hurricane Katrina, and... Um, what home means to them as New Orleans artists, African-American artists. Where are you from? That's a good question. I'm actually one of these newcomers. So, mm-hmm. you know, I came here after Katrina. I um, I, I grew up in Japan, um, in Tokyo, but I, moved, I lived in New York and um, made my way down here after Katrina. Um, I'm one of the volunteers that came to help after Katrina and then ended up sticking around. So, um, Well, I'll, I'll make you a prediction. Okay. You, you want, I'll make you the prediction that some of these artists who are coming here for your um, Soundtrack 63 performance this uh-huh. weekend at the CAC will never leave. <laughs> I'll make you that prediction. They may go back may and get their back. stuff, yeah. and they're going to – I'll be how – many, how many people are coming from? There's 14. And actually, Asante Amin is – the musical director is from New Orleans. Um, so he – you know, there's definitely a strong tie to New Orleans already. Yeah. They'll be back. <laughs> They'll be back. They're going to stay and um, add to our uh, wonderful gumbo in this city. But 
Um, Soundtrack 63 at the Contemporary Arts Center this weekend. I'm so proud of this production because it, it fulfills our original vision of the CAC as a diverse, multidisciplinary institution, which we had to fight for. I, I tell you now that that was a big fight uh, to make it a multidisciplinary and to make sure it was diverse, and I'm, I'm very proud of this production. So, y'all, tickets are still available for Saturday and Sunday night, CACNO.com. Thank you, everybody. Sunday and Monday. Sorry, not Saturday. Saturday sold out, but Sunday and Monday. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Sunday and Monday. Sunday. Um, Good to be with you again, and see you next week. Gene Nathan signing off for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK 